All right. Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, been a while. Been a while since we've seen everybody. I see a lot of new faces that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, but really, everybody's new faces because what we ain't seen one another about seven months feels like. But uh, anyway, this is going to be our welcome song. So y'all get up, tell everybody hello, and uh, sing along with us. Because it's been a while since we've been to church. Was a time that I swore I would never go back. I was blind to the truth, didn't know what I had. I was running, I was searching. But every place I turned for you left me more broken than the last. Take me back to the place that feels like home. To the people I can depend on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to a preacher and a verse, where they see me at my worst. To the love I had at first, oh, I want to go to church. Tried to walk on my own, but I wound up. This is good, isn't it? This is sweet. This is uh, precious. It's just right. You know, when you're able to come into fellowship with one another, sing with one another, hear someone else's voice besides just your own. Uh, Jacqueline, unfortunately, has to hear me when we're in the living room uh, praising. And uh, 
it's good to have some flooding of the of voices praising the Lord, but more importantly, to have hearts that are lifted, bowed before Christ and lifted to Him. And so I'm just so thankful to be here this morning. And we had an awesome Sunday school time this morning. And so I hope you're able to come and experience some Sunday school. We're resuming that. Children's stuff's resuming. And so we're all back in full-fledged here. And so just pray that God would continue to just uh, move mightily and He'd protect and, and walk through as we're just trying to go through this. I got some announcements this morning to give us. First off, uh, of course, I just said Sunday school um, resumes. Kids' ministry classes are officially open. And it's been so long since uh, we've had children's ministry stuff going on. So I just wanted to uh, remind you of how that works. And so if you have a child that is a toddler or a baby, so in the nursery or the toddler classroom, during Sunday school or even during service, they go back to the back immediately. They get checked in, they go back to the back immediately, and they'll be back there the entire time during Sunday school, the entire time during worship service. But if you have a child that's three years old all the way up to fifth grade, they all come in here during this time as we worship together. We're going to sing together. We're going to praise the Lord together. It's a sweet time to worship as a family. And then after that, the, or the three-year-olds all the way up to kindergarten go back to the back for what we call children's worship time. So three to kindergarten go to the back. And then that means first through fifth grade, they have these um, deals up here They're at the kids' table. It's got a bulletin that goes right with what I'm talking about. They're able to engage in an age-appropriate way in here, but also transition into worshiping with us. And so there's just a quick version of that to remind you. I got a video on Facebook explaining that, too, if you need a reminder. Uh, let's see. Also, um, Jacqueline and I have a foster shower coming up. And so uh, there's a whole little... Um, cool little flyer here, but that's on November 21st at 2 p.m. I just want to thank you all for the way um, you are loving us through this transition. We're looking at getting, me and my wife are getting foster children um, pretty soon, Lord willing, maybe uh, uh, December, even January, uh, looking at uh, filling our house up. And we told them we don't care what age and we don't care how many. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> We'll see how that goes, but um, she said, are, are you sure? <laughs> she said, we'll probably start you off with a younger group, and I said, okay. Um, I don't know if that's more terrifying or not, <laughs> but I'm really excited about being able to show um, some children some love and care in a time they need it very much so, and to share the gospel with them, and so pray that God would do something mighty in that time, and thank you all for loving us. Jacqueline said, it's kind of like being pregnant and popping out a a baby to a 16-year-old, you just don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> and so uh, we're trying to prepare the best we can, and y'all are helping us with that. So I'm just so thankful for that. Um, so keep that in mind. That's November 21st at 2 p.m. November 29th, we have our family ministry launch. And so we'll share the family ministry plan and, and uh, what that looks like, how it involves every one of us at every season of life. And so hope y'all are able to make it. My family's actually going to be in from Indiana that week. And so they'll be in here uh, talking about the family ministry with us. And so really looking forward to that. Looking um, for ways to get involved in kids' ministry, um, but you may not feel uh, confident in teaching yet, we still need helpers. And so if you would like to help in some of those classes, uh, you can email or see uh, uh, Sandy or Jacqueline for that. Um, friendship maskers for sale for the youth, $5 back there. And I think um, that's pretty much it on this announcement here. Uh, I got to get back in the rhythm. Some, one of the Sunday school teachers told me, he said, I'm just nervous today. <laughs> I just hadn't been up here and, and looking at y'all kind of makes me nervous this morning but uh i'm really excited to be here father god lord we lord uh do this not for a event not for a show lord not for an experience rather than experiencing just the holy spirit 
Lord, I pray that this morning as we worship you, Lord, we bow before you and your Holy Spirit enters into this place, God. Lord, that we would um, see you in a mighty way, Lord, right here in our midst. Lord, move about and, 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 and change our hearts, Lord. Guide our hearts toward you, Father. Lord, we love you as we sing. May we worship in, in song, Lord. May our hearts be turned to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. This is our birthday and anniversary song. We'll talk to you. That's not me. That's Brother Jimmy. <laughs> Y'all stand with us. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Way beyond the blue. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Way beyond the blue. I took Jesus as my Savior, you take him too. I took Jesus as my Savior, you take him too. I took Jesus as my Savior, you take him too. While he's calling you. Do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Way beyond the blue. Sorry. 
blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Raise your hands today. Praise God with us. Oh, this morning maybe you need to quit snoring like them kiddos and wake up a little bit this morning may God grab a hold of you this morning and say here I am listen here child I'm I'm here you're mine I love you I have a grace that is so astounding and and sufficient for your life right now I want to bring you into my arms would you hear the Lord speak to you today Oh my goodness, church. Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to pick up. and You can go ahead and turn there, get to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to be in verse 23, I believe it is. And so, Acts 18, 23, and as you're going there, I just want to share with you a moment of where we are. We've been going through the book of Acts for a while, and you all realize that. I'm not going to recap it all. I just want to simply remind you of these missionary trips, these missionary journeys that Paul has been on. And that's been very exciting as a church to walk through that, because I feel like as we walk through the scriptures of them being on mission, it shows just how much our life is to be on mission for the Lord. And so as we walk through that, we saw Paul's first missionary journey. We saw him leave and do kind of a short little trip. And then we saw that second missionary journey where he went all the way around the Roman Empire. And today he starts his third missionary journey. It's not just Paul. There's some awesome uh, helpers there serving with him. And so we start that. But I know we've been kind of all over the place a little bit with being out of in-person services. Uh, we kind of took a short little three-week um, journey through a, a series of just... God's messages for us in the times that we're living in. We looked at God's message of hope, we looked at God's message of grace, and we looked at God's message of love for each one of us. And I hope that the Lord really used that to speak to you and show you just who He is. Because if there's one thing that I know right now, church, I know who He is. And if there's one thing that I need to know this morning, church, is that I need to know who He is. Because I don't have a clue what kind of world we're living in anymore. I don't have a clue of what's going on, what tomorrow looks like. I don't have a clue about any of that stuff. But I know who He is. Amen, church? So as we look at this, not only have we seen this message of hope and grace and love, but God's got a message for us this morning. And that's a message of of bringing about an awakening. 
an awakening, to awaken us. And I really believe that we're going to see that, a message of revival, but far more than just revival. I really mean the word awakening when I say it. What is an awakening? I want to make sure we understand what these two words are, because I think we understand revival. We talk about revival a lot. We want revival. But what is an awakening, and what's the difference here? Well, to kind of walk through this, let me just share with you. A revival deals with his children. A revival is bringing back life into a child of God, bringing about a newness, a freshness of, of spirit inside of them, filling them with the Holy Spirit, showing them that He is present and holy and righteous in their life. And it kind of gets a step under us, right? You all ever experienced a revival in your life? A personal revival? I sure hope so. The moment you were saved should have been a revival or awakening. And then the moments that you start to, to go back and you struggle. Have you all ever done that or am I alone? Y'all go back every once in a while, right? We struggle. Our heart gets far away from God, it seems like. While our lips might be praising Him, our heart is far removed. I've been there. Some of you might be there this morning as we even sung songs this morning. I'm praying that God would shower His grace this morning and say, here I am. Be revived. But more so than just be revived, I'm talking about an awakening. So a revival deals with a child, a depth of a relationship with Christ. It's an increasing awareness of His presence, His holiness. It's, it's bringing life back into that. But if you look at what an um, awakening is, it's a term used for God's wooing of hearts, for God's convicting of hearts, for God's turning of hearts who don't know Him. You see the difference? Between a revival and awakening. An awakening doesn't exclude the church though. Because I'm far convinced and have been convinced for a very long time that there's many people that come to churches all around the world that are apart from Christ. And so when I say awakening, I'm not, not talking about those that come to church. I'm talking about our community. I'm talking about our nation. I'm talking about our world. Not only do we need revival, but we need an awakening church. Oftentimes I think we pray for revival in our country. I'd be the first to say we need to pray for revival in our country. Can I hear an amen? amen? Be the first to pray. However, I believe we're beyond the point of needing revival. I think at one time when the nation was founded, I think we can all look at the documents, the, the uh, independence and all the, the constitution, look at it and you can see principles of faith in there. You can see it even refer to God, the creator. Um, um, you see this through there. And so at one time, faith was a big part of, of our nation, sure. And then you go throughout the history of our nation and I think our nation has for a long time has led in different moments of honoring God and worshiping God through what we call the freedom of religion, right? But today, as I look at our nation, I wonder if we've come to a place where this is no longer the case. And I just realized not too long ago, after I prepared this, that, that, that Tuesday's election day. You all realize that, right? If there's ever a time we need to be on our knees, it's now. I want you all to hear me, though. When we talk about faith in our country today, a lot of times it's in a negative perspective, isn't it? When you hear faith on the news, it's, it's because someone's attacking that person of faith. Whether they can't be a Supreme Court judge or they can't be a president or they can't be something else because they're too involved in their faith or, or what I've heard on the news, their dogma of faith. And you hear these things and it breaks my heart, church. It's as if faith, our faith in Christ is too archaic. As if it's not tolerant enough. But church, do we understand that? 
that literally the most tolerant message in the whole scriptures is, is the one of Christ in which he says, hey, I see that you're a sinner, but I want to take your place and make you new. I don't know of a better message than that. When you hear it talked about in a positive light, a lot of times it's for a political gain or it's a principle or a value that we fight for, but is it really a reality that has our hearts captured on focusing and honoring and glorifying God? Are you with me this morning, church? Are you with me this morning, church? We're living in what I believe to be a post-American Christian, I mean a post-Christian America, pretty much coming to a post-American America. And if I'm wrong, and I might be wrong, but if I'm wrong, I think we're heading there at the speed of light. And church, we need the light of Christ to break through right now in our communities and our nations to the point where it grabs a hold of those around us and helps us point toward Christ. We need the light of Christ. Today, we are in need of an awakening. Today, in God's word, we're going to look at, as you turn there, the great awakening of Ephesus. And I love this passage because we get a front row seat of seeing how God brings it about. We're going to look at that. And I pray that we see this kind of awakening in our nation. Will you all join me in that prayer? That we would see an awakening that, that literally takes the divide that we see in our nation and brings it together by the only thing that I think is possible. And that's the union of Christ. The gospel message. Would we pray that God would grab a hold of whoever our next president is and do something that only his hand can do? Will we pray for an awakening? And not just in our national standpoint, but here in Blackfoot. Y'all realize we need an awakening here too? We have a lot of people that we know that say they love Jesus, but does their lives portray it at all? I think we have a lot of nominal Christianity in our area, and I think that we need God to show up and show Himself to people and show His grace, and we see salvation come about. I pray that we would see God move hearts that are so hardened that he would soften hearts that we never thought could be softened. Aren't there some people in your life that you can think of right now that you've kind of almost wrote off because you felt like their heart's too hard? I pray God awakens that heart today. May we pray for an awakening. Let's do that very thing right now. Father, in the stillness of this place, Lord, oh God, we've opened strong this morning. But God, this is your message from your word, God, and you want to bring about an awakening in our midst. I know you do, Lord. God, I see it time and time again in your word of how you've done it, God. And I pray that today, Lord, that we would join together in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that unites us and cry out in one voice, awaken this place. Lord, awaken this community. Lord, awaken our nation. Awaken those in our world. God, may we come before you on our knees and our face, God. Say you, Lord, we need you. God, bring about your grace and your mercy today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So how does this happen? How does this happen? And that's what I want to look at today. I think Scripture shows us how, how it happened before, so it's a good place to start. And the, the very title of today's message is An Awakening Brought by a Few Spirit-Filled Disciple-Makers Desiring Gospel Change. 
So what is it? Awakening brought by a few spirit-filled disciple-makers desiring gospel change. And we're going to break that down this morning and look at what that looks like in the Scriptures. And so how does it happen? Well, essentially, this is how it happens. Only by the hand of God. We've got to get that clear this morning, church. If we're going to see hearts come alive, it happens only by the hand of God. Not by any other means. By His hand. But however... It's His hand that grabs you and breathes the Holy Spirit into your life and puts movement into your bones that allows your hands and feet to be the hands and feet of Christ. And it's by His hand that He starts using us to, to, to start ministering and, and, and sharing the gospel with one another. This is what happens in Ephesus. We have a lot of text today, but I want to look at how God brought about this awakening. So the first point this morning is an awakening is always preceded by the Spirit's work through disciples who make disciples. So if we're going to see an awakening, there's something that always comes before it. If we're going to see an awakening, something that always comes before it is the Spirit's work, God's movement, Spirit's work through disciples who make disciples. And so let me remind us of where this whole thing got started. As we started the book of Acts, you know, we, we looked at how Jesus ended His earthly ministry, right? Y'all remember that whole story in Sunday school? We talked about the crucifixion of Christ this morning in, in, in one of our classes, and, and the kids were looking at that too. And, and, and then, but the story right after that's the resurrection, right? And then the story right after that is this ascension. Right before the ascension, Jesus says some very valuable words. Y'all remember what he says? And I can just quote it here to you, but if I do, it's almost as if it's just this normal thing we say on Sunday mornings. And so I'm going to do something here. I want you all to get in an area here. Right before Jesus ascended, Literally before he ascended, after just raising from the grave, picture this church, Jesus raised from the grave for crying out loud. And he stood and he looked at those that were there after seeing him die and now being there before him. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's a reality to them. They just saw him have authority over death, my friends. All authority has been given to me over heaven and earth. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. The very last thing we see Jesus shares is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, he tells them. He says, I'll be with you always to the end of age. What a blessing. In Acts 1.8, we hear Jesus' words also right before it. He says, the Holy Spirit, a power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. To Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, he says, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, you'll be my witnesses. Church, do we catch what happened? The immediate things that happened right before Acts, the, all the events before they transpired, Jesus spoke, I have authority, now go and make disciples. So when you flip through the pages of Acts, it is all built on those words of Christ. It's been God's plan from the beginning. God would work through the Holy Spirit to make people witness, to baptize and teach, to make disciples who make disciples. We have watched God bring an awakening as we've read through Acts. We're all the way in chapter 18. We've watched him do it in Jerusalem, in Judea. We watched him do it in Samaria in chapter 8. We watched him do it all the way in, in uh, uh, you see, uh, in Antioch. And then you see it's happened in Galatia. And then it happens in Syria. And then you see it happens in, in Asia and Macedonia and Achaia. You start watching all these places in which awakening starts happening. What a blessing. And today we get to see it in Ephesus. So if we want to see an awakening in our setting, what we just prayed for, I can guarantee you this. It will be preceded 
by God working through the Holy Spirit using you to make disciples who make disciples. It's as clear as I can get this morning. If we want to see an awakening, God's hand is the only way, but He will use His hand to lead you through the Holy Spirit to make disciples who make disciples. I think oftentimes we want awakening and we, we expect God just to snap His finger. We pray and say, God, bring revival to our nation. God, bring awakening. God, do this. And then we wake up tomorrow and we turn on the news and we're like, God didn't do it. God had a plan for this to happen and it was through the Spirit working in you to make disciples who make disciples. This is God's call to all Christians. I was actually I'm going to lunch with Sebastian and uh, we had just an awesome lunch. In fact, if you all haven't really talked to Sebastian, you need to go talk to him and hear his story. It's, it's really awesome. And he's sharing with me that from the time he was born to he was 18, he was in Colombia um, in, in uh, South America. And I, I just was fascinated. I love um, other nations. And so I just asked him a simple question. Sebastian, what's the difference, the main difference? I mean, you've been in Florida. You've been here in Texas. You've been in Colombia. What's the main difference between the Colombian church and the American church? And he said, um, I really, it come down to this, I really think it would be discipleship. He said, in Colombia, when someone came into the church, he said, someone would take them under their wing. Didn't matter who it was, but somebody in the church would take them under their wing and they would invite them to everything. He said, when there was service, they'd come in, they'd sit with them, they'd throw fellowships and parties and they would sit there and every time you were expected to call your person, and say, hey, this party's coming on, this fellowship's coming on, would you come with me? They, they would intentionally get together and go through Scripture together and look at God's Word together. He said it was, it was just a matter of fact. Church, that seems far removed from the American church in a lot of places. When's the last time that we've had someone under our wing in which we walked through Scripture with, in which we invited to our fellowships, in which we sat with at church, in which we um, glorify Christ together with? Are you with me? You might say, Pastor, that's intimidating. <laughs> yeah. You think Paul and his friends were intimidated every time they went to a new place and every single time a death threat was placed on him and he almost had to escape by the nitty-gritty grin skin or however that phrase is? Literally almost facing death every single time. I'm sure he was intimidated too. So... Let's look at these examples. His word, God's word, gives us illustrations of this. And the first example we see of how to make disciples is, is really by Paul um, making disciples by strengthening disciples. We see that in 1823. So if you're in Acts 18, verse 23, say amen. amen. All right, I know you've been there a while. Here's what it says. Acts 18, 23. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order. And strengthening all the disciples. So here we see, just stop there for a second with me, here we see Paul literally had planted all these churches on his first and second missionary journey. And so on this trip, he leaves Antioch, which is the last time he leaves Antioch, by the way. He leaves Antioch and he goes, okay, I want to get to Ephesus, but before I get to Ephesus, I'm going to travel through the scenic route to all those church plants and I'm going to strengthen those disciples through the Spirit of God. He strengthens them. He invested into their lives. He, he would rejoice in their faith and he would, he would agonize over their spiritual, lack of spiritual maturity at times. He, he would walk life. He would show how scripture applies. He would speak doctrine, speak the words of Christ to them. 
He desired that they would grow in, in fellowship with other churches, with, with the local body of believers. Church, I think we need to be gripped with the Holy Spirit today that, that is concerned with strengthening disciples. That we would be concerned. I think oftentimes, and I'm just as guilty, we all can be guilty of this, of, of, of seeing um, um, our walk with Christ just about us growing in our faith. But God has given us such a blessing in strengthening others and growing in their faith. And that's the way it's always meant to be, that we would grow together. I think we live in a culture today where we say um, that if you love Jesus, that's enough. Are you with me? If you love Jesus, that's enough. I think we've even said that maybe ourselves, or we, we do it, but, but is that really enough, church? And when I say is enough, if we really love Jesus, then I think it would be enough. But when I hear it so often, well, you just got to love Jesus. But then I think we struggle with the fact that, that they, they, they may be far removed from the idea of, of, of walking with Christ. They, they say they love Jesus, but are they really walking with Christ? I don't think Paul or the other disciple makers in the scriptures were just okay with it. In fact, when we read through Thessalonians and we read through Galatians, what did Paul do over and over again? He admonished the believers. He, he, he combated with them. He, he worked with them. John writes the, the revelation and he says, Ephesus lost their first love. And so this idea of, of being um, invested into one another's lives is how an awakening comes. So we see it by strengthening disciples. Another way we see this is, is by Aquila and Priscilla as they invest in and partner with Apollos. Another example of disciple making is Aquila and Priscilla as they invest in and partner with Apollos. I love this one because this is a husband and wife team. This is uh, Aquila is the husband, Priscilla is the wife, and you see him in scripture over and over again, and, and uh, what a testimony of the way God might want to use your marriage to invest into others, to partner with others. In fact, my greatest blessings, I'm just going to tell you all, my greatest blessings that I ever receive is when God works through me and Jacqueline together in making disciples. It's my greatest blessing. I love it. It's such a joy because then we can share and rejoice together in it and we can weep together with it too. <laughs> you know, disciple making is not always about rejoicing. There's a lot of times you're like, ah! <laughs> amen? Because people make you want to do that. Can y'all, y'all just might want to do that one time, right? Ah! I think we get there, but, but the truth is, 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 is we see such a sweet testimony here of how they do it together. Look at Acts 18, verse 24. If you're there, say amen. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and, uh, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so here we have, as Paul is on his way to Ephesus, he's journeying through. There's already a man in Ephesus. His, man, his name is... Apollos, exactly. So Apollos is in Ephesus already working while Paul's trying to get there. And so Apollos is there. And Apollos is this man that's on fire. Like he is absolutely on fire. He's, he's sharing. He's teaching. He's boldly doing it. He's at the synagogues. Everywhere you turn, you see Apollos opening his mouth, talking about the Lord. It's so exciting. 
It says he's fervent in spirit. He, I mean, he's passionate. There's just one problem. His message was incomplete. It says he knew only of the baptism of John, or only of John's baptism. What does that mean? Well, meaning he probably knew that John was the one to prepare the way for the Lord. He probably even knew that Jesus was the Messiah to come. He probably knew that, that when John uh, baptized and he ends up baptizing Jesus, there's a p- potential that he knew all about that. But what did he not know? He knew nothing of Calvary. The song we just sung about Calvary, he knew nothing of Calvary. He knew nothing of the empty tomb. He knew nothing of a Holy Spirit falling upon people. He knew nothing of those things. He knew the baptism of repentance, but not the baptism that shows our communion with Christ. Not the baptism that shows our union with Christ in His death and His burial and His resurrection. However, while speaking at the synagogue, we see God's grace through a man and his wife. Aquila and Priscilla heard. (laughs) And what do they do? They take him aside. I love that. Because I can't tell you how many times I'm guilty of doing the opposite. I'm somewhere, I'm on vacation, or I'm visiting another church, or I'm doing something, and I hear someone teaching, and it's an incomplete message. And what do I do? I just walk out and say, Jacqueline, did you hear that? That guy was off the wall. <laughs> you guilty with me? I hope you don't leave today saying that. <laughs> but Aquila and Priscilla yielded to the Holy Spirit instead and said, We've got to talk to this guy. We've got to show him Calvary and the empty tomb and the Holy Spirit. We've got to walk through this gospel message with him so that he can understand and know Christ. And so they share it with him and he becomes fervent even more so and he knows the full gospel now. I think, church, I believe if we have a need today, it would be to know the full gospel. I think we have a lot of partial gospel messages in our world today. We know about Jesus. We're even maybe passionate about Jesus. However, still have not responded to the full gospel. Yes, the one that shares that Jesus died for my sins. Yes, the one that shares that he raised from the grave and gave me forgiveness over those sins. However, maybe not so much the one in which says he crushed the heart and gave you a new one that walks with me. One that unites me to be one with you as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one together. That's the blessing of the good news that we are one with Jesus think we need that full gospel today and through the sharing of this message investing in another's life we see that Aquila and Priscilla becomes disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples because what happens immediately next is Apollos then goes and says I need to go to Achaia which is also what we know more specifically is Corinth he goes to Corinth and it's interesting because while he goes to Corinth Paul had already been through there and so Apollos goes and he waters the, the seeds that, that Paul planted previously at Corinth. And so it's just interesting how they work together. And so, so in fact, um, we know that he was very influential in Corinth. Because if you read the first and second letter of Corinthians, it says in there that I watered, Apollos, uh, or I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. It says that very clearly. Obviously, he had such a role in their lives. He, he says later on, he addresses some conflict that comes up because some were saying, I'm of Apollos, some are, I'm of Paul. And he says, no, we're of Christ. We're of Christ. And so we see that they become disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples. The last example of a disciple maker is shown here in this passage is, is Paul, again, as he gets to Ephesus and his reliance on the word of God. 
The last example of disciple making is relying on the word of God. If you're in Acts 19, say amen. I want to walk through this with you. And it happened while Paulus was at Corinth. Then Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. He arrives. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said, We have not so much as even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. More than likely, he shared a few more things about Jesus. And verse 5 shows up, When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, spoke evil of Christianity before the multitude, he departed from, the, from them and withdrew the disciples." reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul arrives at Ephesus, and Apollos is already gone. He's at Corinth, we see, and we see where Paul finds these um, disciples, and he says, um, I feel like something's off here. <laughs> Do y'all even know who the Holy Spirit is? Oh, no, we don't know the Holy Spirit. Oh, what were you baptized in? Uh, John? It's like, oh, we got a problem. <laughs> so what probably is going on here is, is Apollos was teaching, right? And Apollos was in the synagogues. And so these were probably disciples that were under Apollos. They knew John's baptism, but not the message of Calvary, not the message of the resurrection. And so, so we see all this comes about. And so Paul shares the gospel with them. Then they're united with Christ. They're baptized, showing their union with Christ. And then it says that they spoke in tongues. I want to just address something real quick. There's other uh, traditions that, that have a thought that for you to be able to be filled with the Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. And, and I don't believe that is the case. I believe Paul in his letters refutes this very argument in some of his letters when he says we all don't speak in tongues. It's a gift, he says. And, and, so, and then you have the separation between tongues being language and then you have the utterance of the Spirit, the way the Bible talks about these things. And so you can get caught up in that, but that's not the main message here. The message is what Paul is doing. He's relying on God's Word. If you look at it, he spoke the Word of God to these 12 men. He says, you need to know about Jesus. And then you see he goes to the synagogue for three months and he speaks the word of God to, to those in the synagogue. And then he gets kicked out of there and he goes to Tyrannus, this lecture hall, this school, and he speaks daily for two whole years the words of Jesus. His reliance on the word is the, what I want us to understand to the point in verse 10 it says, so that all who dwelt in Asia had heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. What a statement that is church you might think uh, some guy traveling 600 miles to another country going in there and just preaching daily at, at some school for for two years is, is a little thing <laughs> might seem like a a task that that is worthless maybe but what we see god do next shows us just how much god's spirit was involved in that teaching daily 
for two years, we see that God's going to bring about an awakening. So church, let me remind you, if we want to see an awakening, we must yield to the Spirit as we make disciples who make disciples, and that happens by strengthening disciples, it happens by investing in and partnering with others, and it happens by relying on the Word of God. Three things there. Now the second and final point that I want us to see is when that happens, the gospel brings about an awakening that changes everything. And I want to just breeze through this really quickly. But it's too good to, to not hit. The gospel changes everything. It brings an awakening that changes everything. There's a few of these things I want you to notice. Awakening by the gospel changes the way we see God work. We see this in verse 11. If you're in verse 11 of chapter 19, say amen. Now God who worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul... So then that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from the body to his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And so first off, let's just pause for a moment. Did y'all catch what's happening here? We're not asleep, are we? All right. I want to wake you up like them kids. Did you hear that? Handkerchiefs are being brought out from Paul and he's going and healing people. This is crazy. Y'all are just like, oh, another day in Sunday church. No, people are being healed by handkerchiefs. This is nuts. This is crazy. And so when you look at this, when you read this, it just should just recognize, first off, I don't think this is prescriptive. I think this is descriptive, meaning it's not something prescribed to us. It's something that's described, something God did in that midst. Now, now what I want us to recognize is if he brings an awakening, of course he's going to work in unusual ways. Of course he's going to work in ways that will just blow your mind. We've seen him work here in ways that's blown our mind. It's exciting when God brings an awakening. But it's not always looking like this. In fact, um, there's been uh, people that's tried this, and, and I don't think what it's telling you is, is to wait till I get done preaching with my handkerchief, and it's all sweaty, you know. And I've preached an on-fire message, you know. You know the Spirit was at work, and so I got all this sweat, and I'm just going to leave it here. Y'all come up and grab it after service and walk away healed, all right? Y'all ready to try that? That's not what it's saying here. That's not the message here. The message comes back to this idea that God is at work. He is at work. The point here is that God is at work and that nothing is impossible. The miracles were not the message. The miracles supported the message. The message has always been the gospel. Amen? Another change of an awakening that is brought about is that people start to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. I love this passage. Look at verse 13 with me. If you're there, say amen. Then some of the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus who Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man in, in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in the Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And so here we have another one of them episodes. You say, what, did I just read that? Um, 
you have a group of Jewish people that, that are exercising. They're exorcists, not the running exercise, but exercising demons out of people. And so they're going around and they're doing this, and this wasn't too uncommon then. But they heard about this uh, Jesus guy and the authority that comes in him, so they try to tackle or, or tackle on the name of Jesus to what they're doing to have this extra dose. You know, they were looking at the authority that came in the name of Jesus without accepting the authority of Jesus in their own life is what it comes down to. Same thing happened in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. We saw the same thing with Simon the magician. The same thing. So what happens? Well, it didn't end too well for him, did it? Uh, Matt Chandler says, um, if when, you, uh, when the fight started, if when the fight started you were wearing pants, and when the fight ended you weren't, you lost. <laughs> um, I think uh, Alistair Begg said the, called them the seven streakers of Skeva. However, God's sovereignty took and made glory to his name out of seven men that ran and fled out of a house that were naked and wounded. And God gets glory somehow in the midst of that. Again, that's descriptive. Don't go prescribing that at your houses, okay? This is descriptive. This is something we're reading here. But God moved and a fear came upon them to the point where the Lord Jesus was magnified. Leads to the next change here. An awakening brings about confession and repentance. Look at verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who are, had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So we see God changed hearts. Confession and repentance comes as part of an awakening. He changes hearts here. This is a, a picture of repentance, though, because not only do they just talk and say, I'm going to get rid of this, I'm going to stop doing this. They don't just say, I'm going to stop practicing magic. And they don't say, well, let's sell the book so we at least get the profit from it. No, it says they burn the books. They come together in sight of all so that they burn the books. There's accountability here. This is awesome. What's happening? It's almost like a bunch of alcoholics get together and they say, we've got to stop. God has shown me that this is not working and I've got to be delivered from this and I know we've got to be delivered from this. And so this group of alcoholics go and they get every piece of alcohol in their life and they dump it down the sink. That's a, basically what's happening here. Or people that's struggling with looking at things on their phone, they get together with a group and they say, hey, we've got to put filters on our phones for one another so that we don't look at these things we're not supposed to be looking at. Let's, let's put boundaries up. Let's get rid of this filth in our life. Let's seek the Lord. Let's repent and turn to Christ. Can we get an amen, church? That happens with an awakening. An awakening, finally, does not only affect those who become believers. It affects all. Now, I want you to see this as we close up. Acts 19, 21. It says, when these things were accomplished, Paul proposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And so he went to Macedonia. I mean, he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for, for a time. And so he's preparing his rest of his mission trip. He sends Timothy Erastus on to prepare for him. And he stays in, in Ephesus for a moment. And at that time, it says in verse 23, about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men... You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul guy has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. 
So not only is this trade of ours in danger of failing into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So we see this man named Demetrius, and he gets a group of people together, and he says, hey, this is a big problem. Y'all recognize what's going on, don't you? He says, this whole deal with this Paul guy going around sharing this message, everybody's turning to this God and turning away from their idols. Y'all realize this is what we do for a living, that we make these idols to sell. That's how we get paid. He says, this isn't good for us. It comes down to the economy, right? He says, this will destroy our economy if we allow Christ to be exalted in our community the way he is. And then you see, not only does he pull that string, but he says, this Dionys, Dionys this, this goddess, it's one of the greatest, uh, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And, and he says, this is our culture. This is everything we know. He says, if, if you get rid of our culture and our economy, this is going to destroy us. He starts pulling this. And so it says, after that, they respond. Verse 28, now when they heard this, they were full of wrath, cried out, saying, great is Diana of Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companies. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater some therefore cried out one thing and one another something else and for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together and they drew alexander out of the multitudes the jews putting him forward and alexander mentioned with his hands motioned with his hands and wanted to make his defense to the people but when they found out he was a jew all the voice cried out with one voice and said for about two hours great is diana of the ephesians and so really we just see this massive confusion that's all you got to know here massive confusion there's just they've drawn everybody together um, saying the economy's going to fail the culture's going to fail and everybody's just in this place yelling at each other it's just mass confusion says over and over again that they're confused themselves. Most of them didn't even know why they were rioting. And then a clerk comes to rescue. Paul's wanting to get in there. He's like, this is an amphitheater. I could tell them about Jesus. And they're like holding them back, you know, holding them back. And he says, no, no, I got to get in there. And they, these elders come and they say, no, you, you can't go in there, Paul. And then God sends this clerk. It says in verse 35, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is a temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? Quit shouting this stuff, he says. And the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers or temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, their courts are open and they are, are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if there is no inquiry here to make, it shall be determined a lawful assembly. It shall be determined in the lawful assembly, he says, for we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for the disorderly gathering. And when he said these things, they dismissed the assembly. And so the clerk just says, this is ridiculous. There's a law system to go through. Go to the law. He says, quit shouting all this stuff. And so it all dismantles, and Acts 21 says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. 
Paul stayed the course. And I see this after all of it comes to a close. He brings in all these Ephesians and he hugs them and he braces them and he says, I gotta go. And he goes on his missionary journey. He stayed faithful. He yielded to the Spirit of God. He made disciples who make disciples. That's the calling for us today, to make disciples who make disciples. And that is what brought about this huge awakening, church. You see, when God awakens a soul, they change. When a, a soul changes, a community changes. And when a community changes, a city changes. And when a city changes, a state changes. And when a state changes, a nation changes. And when a nation changes, a, a, a world changes. That's an awakening. God changing hearts, awakening hearts. And so may we pray. And so my prayer is, is that you would join me in this. In fact, tonight at 6 p.m., we're going to have a prayer gathering in here, in this place right here at 6 p.m., to pray for an awakening. Amen? Pray for an awakening. But maybe God needs to awaken your heart before you ever even think about Him awakening anything else. Maybe your heart's a lot like Apollos. And the fact that you're excited about Jesus, you, you talk about Jesus, you, 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 you're with Him, you, you're passionate about it. However, until today, you hadn't heard the full gospel the one that unites you with him, that calls you out by his grace, and through faith you receive this beautiful message, good news, and maybe that's your response today. And so if you would respond today, not to me, not to this place, but to Christ, that's my prayer. And you can do that by coming up here and, and bowing before him, and I even put two chairs over here. I know some people can't get down on their knees, and so there's chairs. If you want to come and sit on a chair and look at the cross and bow before Jesus, do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we... I'm um, so grateful for the God that you are, Lord. God, I am so excited about uh, seeing um, you through Scripture, God. Lord, as we open up the Word, Lord, as we open up Acts, we see you, Lord. And, and not only do we see you, but we see the things that you've done in the past, Lord, and how you brought awakening, this revival and awakening to this place at Ephesus. God, would you bring about that here? Lord, start here in our very hearts, God, as we are in this place. Lord, would you awaken our hearts, God? Lord, there are many of us, I know, in this very place, God, that are snoring right now. God, we've been put to sleep, God. You are not on our minds. We're not walking faithfully with you. And God, I pray that today, through your word, you have grabbed a hold of their heart and brought life back into it, Lord. God, if there's those here that haven't responded to the full message, of course they know Jesus. We talk about Him. He's known in this community. However, they haven't yielded to Jesus. Haven't become united with Jesus. Would you make that happen today, Lord? Would you bring salvation upon them today, Lord? Would they rejoice in knowing salvation? Lord, may we reach out for the Father's hand knowing it's the only hand that can guide us through what tomorrow looks like. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If y'all would stand. If the Savior said, Thy strength indeed is small, Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find me in that all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
sin had left a crimson stain, he washed me white as snow. For now indeed I find that thy power and not alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Before the throne I stand, in him and complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Praise the Lord, church. Y'all knew I hadn't had y'all held captive for uh, um, a good month now. You knew I was going to keep you a little long today, didn't you? Hope them taters don't burn. <laughs> Praise God, though. I pray that you would consider coming back tonight at 6 o'clock as we pray for an awakening, the very thing that we saw in Scripture today. I pray that. And then also, just there's some families that really need your, your um, prayers as well. The Hodges are, and um, so Lonnie uh, is really struggling, and uh, they don't even know if he's going to make it. He has COVID, and um, the family, you know, Chris and Matt are in Uganda, some of the missionaries over there, and so they're trying to get back, and there's just a lot of um, struggle there. So be in prayer for um, that family, um, that God would walk through every step of this with them. And then uh, we also have um, the Barnetts that we're lifting up as uh, we're grieving um, uh, Karen's mom's uh, loss, Carol, and uh, we're just lifting up them. Thank you all for the love you showed them uh, yesterday. But please continue to be in prayer for those, I, and I know there's many more, um, but that we would lift up and that God would not only do things physically, but he would do things spiritually in our community too. Can I hear one last amen? Amen. amen. Ralph, would you close us in a word of prayer, brother? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We're so thankful we can come together in this house, Lord. Just be with the families represented here as we go out there our week. Bless us. Keep us safe, Lord. And we give you all the glory and praise.